PulpMX Network Production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to the Pulp Hockey Podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. I'm Steve Mathis. Hey, uh, you want to get out, try out the best undies out there, uh, try 2under, the number 2, U-N-D-R, 2under.com. Patented Joey Pouch, a great company, great bunch of guys over there, and uh, they're also Canadian, too. So if you're a Canadian and you're listening to this, that's a Canadian company, 2under. Use the code FERRARO20 when you uh, check out, and uh, you can save money, a little bit of money on that. And we thank the guys from 2under for supporting this podcast, and also Amazon. If you want to support the podcast, there's an Amazon banner on pulphockey.com. Click on that, go to Amazon, make a purchase. We get a small slice of that, and uh, we're able to uh, keep this thing going. So we appreciate everybody. Uh, with me on the line, former uh, Pittsburgh Penguin, Chicago Blackhawk, LA King, IHL, top score, uh, 49 goal score one year. We'll get into that. Now doing uh, color uh, analyst for the Oilers on 630 Ched, uh, pre-post game, in between periods. Um, happy to have him on. Rob Brown, what's going on, Rob? Thanks for doing this. Well, no worries. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, and thanks to Derek from Troy Lee for setting this up. Uh, who knew that he could actually, you know, maybe stop a guy who pretty much scored 50 goals in the league once. I'm impressed with Derek's goaltending skills. Well, no, I said he played with us. I didn't say he stopped us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. No, he's a, he's a good guy, and we thank him for getting this going, Troy Lee Designs Canada. So, um, all right, before we get into your situation, your career, and everything else, uh, you cover the Oilers. This year, obviously, Connor McDavid and all that. They started off 0-4. It was the same old Oilers. McDavid didn't have a point. People are saying it's the same old Oilers. They're, they're not fixed, quote-unquote, you know, this and that. Well, three in a row as we, uh, as we record this pod. McDavid scored a couple of great goals. They're coming around, aren't they? It's, this is more like the Oilers we thought we'd see at the beginning of the year. You know what? I think the, the record to start the year, the 0-4 record, was a little misleading. You know, the Oilers in three of those four games played very well. Mm-hmm. And a break here or there could have won the hockey games, and the I know the media was all over them, and I know that the fan base was feeling a little apprehensive just because of the way the season had started, similar to all the seasons in the past. But the players were confident, the coaches were confident. They weren't getting the results, but they were playing well. They were doing the right things, and they felt that they were coming and they were close. And I think the last three games shown that the early games in the season were an aberration mm-hmm. and this team is take, making strides they are a better hockey club the games they lose and they're losing simply because the other team played well not because they're playing poorly so you know the, the three and four record i think is uh is getting to you know getting back to 500 they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're doing the right things they're uh, the players that they expected to be good are Connor mcdavid is doing what they expected of him the goaltending is much better than they've had over the last decade so there are reasons to be optimistic here in uh, in Edmonton. Yeah, you know I'm a I'm a Maple Leaf fan, and so you know they got Bernier, and he you know he was, in, he was uh, splitting time, or, or he was back, back up to quick, and um, and Martin Jones came, he played really well, and I don't know if he's the answer, and then Martin Jones another back up to quick, 
you know, played well in, in small spurts, and, and he looks like he's off to a good start in San Jose. But Ferraro and I were talking about Talbot, and we're like, is he good? Is it Was it the Rangers system that made him good? I mean, obviously, he stepped up when uh, Henrik Lundqvist got hurt last year. But we were wondering, like, hey, can this guy handle being the number one? And so far, uh, Talbot, Cam Talbot, like you said, has, has given the Oilers finally some goaltending that, uh, that can win some games. Well, I think the Oilers have been uh, bitten before by trying to bring in a backup. They went out and got Ben Scrivens, right. the backup in John, for Jonathan Quick as well. And when he got the opportunity to play in L.A., he was very good. He came here, and all of a sudden he's playing behind a defense that's not near as good, a team that's not near as defensive, and his deficiency shown, and he really struggled. The Oilers went out again and tried again with Talbot. So you don't know mm-hmm. what a backup goaltender can do until you put him in a situation where he has to play every night where he's playing behind a team that's not near as good. I mean, the Rangers are a great defensive hockey club. Right. Lundqvist is a great goalie, but he benefits from having a very good defensive team in front of him. Talbot benefited by playing right. in the New York Rangers defense. So the Oilers took a chance, and it's always a gamble, but it was one that they had to take because right now what they had in the system, mm-hmm. what they had as their starter last year wasn't good enough. And then they also went out and got an insurance policy. got a, a kid named Anders Nielsen, mm-hmm. who was a six-foot six or six foot seven defenseman, Swedish kid, and he's come in and played fantastic. So the Oilers now have got, I believe it's seven games under their belt. And in all seven of those games, their goaltending was very good. They've given them a chance to win. And that's something that the Oilers have not had in previous years. Yeah, yeah no doubt about it. Um, how long have you been doing the, the color stuff? And I know you were doing some pay-per-view stuff and things like that. How long has it been for you? Uh, this is my 10th year with the Oilers. Okay. So when I retired, I came back and took some time off. And uh, I, I got a call and asked if I wanted to do a little bit of radio work. It turned into TV work. And <laughs> Next thing you know, you're 10 years later. <laughs> yeah, I, now i got more than enough stuff to do. So I enjoyed it. Uh, but I'm like a fan here in Edmonton. I've seen a lot of the tough times. I've right. I've been part of the broadcast that, you know, in December the team is – practically out of it yeah so there's a yeah. lot of exhibition games that i've seen over the final <laughs> three four months every year so i'm as excited about this season sure. as a lot of the fans are because i want to talk about good hockey i want to talk about what happens in the game and not talk about who we should trade or who we should fire right exactly so talking about you so the point that i was getting to is you've been there a long time so you've seen a lot of oiler goalies and a lot of oilers come and go Devin Dubnik, I mean, did they just give up on him too soon? There, 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 there was no way he was going to be he was going to turn into something that he did if he'd stayed with the Oilers. But that's got to hurt, right? I think what hurts about it is he was a first round draft pick mm-hmm. that you put a lot of time in, you put a lot of money in, a lot of effort in to get him to where he was. And when he came up and played the first two years with the Oilers, he was very good. And you could see the potential he had. Right. Yep. Then it was it was a perfect storm on a bad way when Dallas Akins came in. New coaching staff, new GM. They didn't have faith in Devin. And the team got off to a horrific start. Devin didn't play well, but neither did the players in front of him. Mm-hmm. And then I, they, I think they just at that point said, you know what, let's be done with Devin. I think it was too early uh, because of the potential that he had. Sure, yeah. In fact, yeah, what you put into him. And, I mean, for us – we are happy that Devin's doing as well as he is. Mm-hmm. He's a good man, and yeah. he, he put the time and effort in to get to where he is. So, but for the Oilers, I mean, you know, you look—he's up for the Vezina last year. Right. Like, oh, That's what I mean. Like... That guy—that's <laughs> Satters. And now we're looking at the the number of goalies that have gone through a carousel here. Yeah. And it just shows you when you have a, a goalie, you can have two goalies of equal ability, 
You put one on a team that's very good defensive and sound. You put one on a team that struggles defensively, that hasn't found their way to win hockey games yet. Those two goalies of equal ability are going to have two completely different records and two completely different mm-hmm. um, ratings. And I think that's what you saw with Devin. He was just on a bad team. And he fell into just the trap of playing game after game for a team that was poor in front of him. Eventually, his confidence eroded Mm -hmm. to the point where it took him two teams to be able to find out how good he could be again. I'm sure you're, uh, if you've been doing it that long, you're buddies with Mac T, Craig Matavish, Kevin Lowe, and those guys, right? I mean, um, but it was, and but Bob Nicholson comes in and just kind of cleans them out a little bit. I mean, Mac T's assistant, Kevin Lowe's more on the business side of things, but. I understand, and again, I'm from, I'm from Winnipeg, living in Vegas, so I'm not there. But I understand the fans were just really pretty much threw their hands up with the whole sort of old Oiler Boy uh, management structure. It kind of had to happen, didn't it? It did. I think a lot of what was happening, Daryl Cates, the owner of the Edmonton Oilers, uh, good friends with Mac T, good friends with Kevin yeah. Lowen, yeah. and everyone's going with his heart. And then the team had the big run. In ninety was in ninety six where we had the oh six yeah yeah oh six we went to the finals right and I think because of that there was more of a connection mm-hmm. to Daryl and these guys and uh, the team has sputtered and it has struggled and the fan base was looking for something that they could put all the blame on and it went to Kevin Lowe and went to Craig McTavish right. and it did not matter what happened they were getting blamed and it and it got ugly our and that's what I say. For, doing a post-game show, phone-in show. I want <laughs> right. to talk about hockey, and we didn't get to talk about hockey. Right. Every second phone call was about firing Kevin Lowe, <laughs> and the next one was about firing Craig McTavish. And uh, some some phone calls were justified, and some were just, it was just out of frustration. They didn't know yeah. who to blame, so they're yeah. on those two guys. So what Daryl Case did, which I thought was smart, he went outside of the Oilerville. Mm-hmm. They found Bob Nicholson, highly respected, highly regarded, who had no... Real personal ties. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he knew them, and he'd been part of things with them with Team Canada, but he came in with a mandate, I'm going to go over everything from top to bottom, mm-hmm. to make the changes that need to be made. And I think, you know, he made the tough calls, but he made right calls. And now this is a brand-new franchise with new GM, a lot of new scouts, a new coach, uh, and a number of new players. So now it is on the new regime now, this mm-hmm. is win or fail or fail or succeed on these guys. And I think they had to do that. And mm-hmm. it was just practically just for optics. Yeah. Just for optics, you had to say, all right, yeah, we are going to start anew because there's just so much uh, hurt and so much frustration. And it's all being directed to two guys. we got to remove them from the situation yeah. and let's start and be judged on the merit of the new guys and see if we can start going forward and put, put all this pain behind us. You're like, oh, not these calls again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> every call. You're I mean, like, I, we, could, we could win the game seven nothing. Yeah. In the first phone calls, we got to fire Kevin Lowe. And I'm like, okay, serious. <laughs> Stop Taylor it. Taylor Hall just had six points. Can we talk about Taylor? Please? Right, right. Uh, it's got to be hard for Mac T. He's still around. Assistant. Uh, I understand they gave him a choice. Like, hey, if you want to leave the organization, you can. I think he stuck it out, and he's assistant GM. It's got to be tough for him. How, uh, I mean, um, again, you probably know him. How's he doing? How's how's this? Is he okay with all this? It's got to be. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I haven't talked to him about that. Okay. Um, the, I I'm just on the outside. I know from me. I mean, it, obviously, anything where you get let go or moved from a position mm-hmm. that you felt that you wanted and needed and could do, there'd be a pride yeah. problem. He seemed like a good, um, he seems like a good guy. I, I mean, uh, just interviews well, or whatever. He's a really good guy. Yeah, yeah. He's a really yeah. good guy. I mean, and he's and he's. A guy that is well respected, 
and sometimes things don't work out. And uh, he's handled it professionally. Mm-hmm. There's never been a, a, a sour word or a bad word that came out. I mean, here's a guy that went from the excitement. He was on the job when Connor McDavid, the uh, the lotto was won. Yeah. So he's thinking, I'm coming back. I've got Connor McDavid. <laughs> things are going to turn around here. And then shortly after that, he was relieved of the GM duties. Yeah. So that, that's got to be tough. Uh, it'd be tough for anyone in any situation like that. Now you're not working, doing the things that you want to do. Yeah. But he's been he's been good. He's been professional. I've seen him around the rink. He's in he's in a good mood. But I would expect at some point, and this is just me guessing, yeah. Yeah. that he'll want to eventually sure. move into the same type of position, probably with a different organization, and start doing what he wants to do. And that is, I mean, he, I believe he enjoyed being a GM in the National Hockey League. Yeah. Right. Who, who wouldn't? Point, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, any coach that gets fired, right. you know, I thank the organization and move on to the next one. But right now, Mac T's part of this, and who knows? Maybe Mac T eventually will will stay in this organization and be part of a Stanley Cup championship team down the road. And you'll see him out on the ice with the team pitcher as part of one of the. I mean, at one point, some of the players that are going to be on that team are guys yeah. that Mac T had brought. Yep. Yeah. Also, too, you know, it just it, it was so much of a perfect storm. Like maybe Kruger was let go a little soon. Eakins didn't quite work out. And and a lot of times when the Oilers they look at all these number one picks, well, there wasn't a lot of other guys. Like sometimes number one picks, a la Patrick Steffen, you know, for for the Thrashers years ago, they're they're good, but they're just not franchise changers. And I think like Yakupov is that. Like he's or, or maybe Nugent Hopkins is that, where they're good players, very good players, but they're not. Uh, Taylor Hall or, or or Connor McDavid, and I think fans get caught up a little bit in that too. You know, where they're well, just like, they, yeah, they do. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you look at a, a poor Neil Yakupov. He's he's got that number one label mm-hmm. on him, and yeah. Uh, so now everyone's expecting him to be Steven Stamkos, you know, a yeah. number yeah. one pick overall. Yeah. And you you can't you can't put that. I mean, if you go, all you have to do for a fan or anyone that loves the game, you can go on to the internet onto Google and you punch in. NHL drafts, and they'll give you a list of all the drafts forever. And then just go through some years, a guy, there'll be a draft where there'll be 16 first rounders that any other year would be sure. top two or three. Yeah. And they just, that is just, we call them deep drafts yeah. because there are so many good at kids at that age that the kid that went 11th overall that year, if he would have been a year older or a year younger, he would have been the number one pick. And there'll be kids that go number one, two, or three overall in one year. Well, if they would have been a year older or a year younger, they would have been 19th, 25th overall mm-hmm. because it is a weak draft. Sure. And Nail Yakupov's draft, no, it's still early. Yeah. But if you look at the, the draft, it wasn't a real strong draft. Yeah. It's not a draft that is you're seeing like all these kids, oh, God, look at these guys are dominating now because this is the time they should be dominating. Right. Fourth year in the league now. Yeah. But they're not. And it just it wasn't as strong a draft as other drafts were. Um, you yourself, like, so I don't know what Derek told you, but I, you know, I'm a freelance journalist, uh, a, a podcaster. So I do internet radio shows and podcasting about supercross and motocross, right? So dirt, mm-hmm. b- dirt bike racing. So I go to all these races, I interview these riders. I have, um, a podcast where I offer up what happened at the race. Just, you know, just kind of like what you on a much smaller scale. But bottom line is what I'm getting to is sometimes I piss these teams and riders off, um, with some of my criticism or how they're doing or whatever. And I got to deal with it. Um, so my question for you, Rob Brown, um, how, I mean, obviously, look, we, like you said, you've been doing this forever. So there's been some really shitty Oiler teams that you've had to, you know, be a bit critical of. 
How's how's that dealing with the players? Um, how do you deal with that? Um, obviously, you're at the rink a lot. So, what's that like for you? Well, I think when I started doing this, the way I wanted to do it is to do it as though how someone interviewed me, mm-hmm. how I'd want them to treat me, or if someone was doing something on the radio, then I want to be able to have respect for the person and what they're saying. So I wanted to be that guy. Right. So and I and I talked. It's funny. I talked to uh, Ray Ferraro. I had called up. Uh, Daryl Ray, I called up just to talk to them about doing this. Mm-hmm. I had no experience. I didn't go to schooling for this. Sure. And I wanted to be. I wanted to do it the proper way. So to me, it's. It, it, I have to be honest. I live in a market up here that is very hockey knowledgeable. Yep. If I go on there and say the Oilers have lost seven straight, and I say, you know what, things are they're, they're just getting <laughs> bad breaks. Or things right. aren't going well. Well, then I've lost credibility in the marketplace. Yeah. Because the people are smarter than that. And, but I can't. I don't believe in going on and just. Well, this guy sucks, or this guy is terrible. Right. I can't believe they. Tr-. But you got to be honest. Be honest. Um, tell the truth, but not. But never personal. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can ever be personal. You, you can judge someone on what they do on the ice, but do it in a in a in a way that you're you're showing. Here's what they should have done. Right. Here's what they could have done. Here's where I believe where they went wrong. But in a, in a way that you're not saying, well, that guy sucks, so that's that's why he made that bad pass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think you got to be able because eventually you're going to see these guys and you're going to interview them. Well, yeah. And you got to face you got to face them face to face. So anything that you say, you've got to be able to back up. So if I go online or on the radio and I say, well, he is a horrible, horrible hockey player, <laughs> and now I go look at him, I got to be able to back the fact up. Well, here's why. Yeah. Now I wouldn't come right out and say that, but I would say, well, you know, he struggled last night. He did not make this, did not do that. He wasn't in his, the right spot. So when he says, yeah, I heard you said I was awful last night. Well, here's what I saw. Yeah. And now at least I can buy. And, and players, 99% of players and 99% of athletes know when they play poorly. For sure. They yeah. know. And uh, Todd McCullen, uh, the other, it was two or three games ago, Sekera, Sekera sorry, yeah. uh, a highly sought after uh, free agent this summer yeah. who struggled yeah. and in one game made an absolutely terrible hockey play. And they interviewed Todd McClellan after he goes, what, you know, what'd you say to him? He goes, I didn't have to say anything. He's been around <laughs> long enough. He's a good hockey player. Yeah. He knows he's screwed up. If I have to tell him he screwed up, well, then he's not the player we mm-hmm. thought he is. So that most players know yeah. when they're struggling and no one likes getting called out about it. Mm-hmm. But they understand that if someone asks a question, you got to be honest, and and that's the way I take it: be honest, but not personal. But even still, like I'll say the same things about a struggling rider. Like I'll be like, "Hey, he's struggling right now. He's not riding well." These guys, and you know, these guys are still ultra sensitive. Like they kind of get mad. Or you'll get the old, "I never listened to your show, but I heard you said this," and you're like, "Wait, wait, wait, wait! I didn't say that. I know your girlfriend, mom, you know, buddy told you I said that." Do you run into that a little bit too? Um, not, not so much. No. Um, I mean, I, I honestly, I've never been approached or called out. Oh, okay. Uh, I've never, I've never talked to the Oilers organization. Has never had to talk to me. Oh, okay. I mean, oh, good. It, it's yeah. So I mean, it's been good. We've been, the, the, the good thing about the Oilers organization is they'd allow us, allow us to be honest. Mm-hmm. I've, I've played in markets and I've watched other teams play and listened to their broadcast. And there's a lot of very Homer um, yeah, podcast. there is. Yeah, you'll, you'll, watch, you'll watch a fight, and it'll be the Bruins against an Oiler, and the Bruin oh. is laying on the ice, blood pouring out of his head, and the announcer, oh, and it was a great fight in that Bruin. I think you got to give him the decision. I'm like, 
the kid's half dead on the ice. <laughs> or or the, the goalie will make a, a great save. Oh, that goalie got lucky. I mean, the Oilers yeah. have been very good. They've allowed us to be honest. Good, yeah. And, and that's all you want because if you want credibility, mm-hmm. if you want people to listen to your show, then you've got to be honest to the people that are listening and tell the truth. Yeah. And it's not like, look, and, and again, you know, you played the game at the highest levels, and so you have credibility. You know what I mean? Um, so that, that part of it is, I think, I would hope people be like, hey, this guy does know what he's talking about. But it's been so negative. It's been so poor results for so many years. I would think people are just ultra-sensitive to, you know, the team being be ultra sensitive to any sort of criticism because it just feels like piling on. But like you said, it's good. I'm glad to hear that they're all cool with it. They are. And actually yeah. it's it, sometimes it's, it's the fans that get more upset. It, right. Everyone has a favorite yeah. and everyone believes that if their favorite's not playing well, it's because of something that's being done to him through management, through mm-hmm. coaching. So if you criticize one player, you'll have a thousand texts that come in and agree with you. And then you'll have a thousand texts that come in and say, well, you're wrong. Yeah. yeah. Because everyone sees the game <laughs> through their own eyes. Yeah. And sometimes their eyes are clouded simply because yeah, they, there's a, a favoritism part of it. Mm-hmm. And, and when we do the show, and, and anyone that's in, in media, you can't have uh, rose, rose-tinted glasses. You have to be honest from a very neutral standpoint. Because mm-hmm. when you start letting the bias of who you like or if I'm, this is my team, so I'm going to make sure that I, I'm going to color it a little bit better for this team. Well, then once again, you've lost. Uh, yeah, you're going to lose respect. So, but pair, but fans, on the other hand, I mean, when my Blue Jays blow a game, I'm, I'm like, well, no, it was just they got unlucky. Yeah, you know, that's yeah, a yeah. bad call by the ump. The ump screwed right. them on that one. When if you're an outsider looking at it with no vested interest, you're like, well, no, they really screwed up themselves. Can you believe I got to go out tonight? I'm not being able to watch Game Six. I cannot believe it. I cannot I'm, believe. Uh, I'm I'm doing an Oilers game tonight during Game Six uh, as well. So, yeah. uh, and and Rexall Arena in Edmonton is not as high tech as a lot of <laughs> other rinks around there, where I would have access to enough TVs to be able to watch. To watch both. it, yeah. Uh, Ferraro had it going on his iPad. We called it. He was in Detroit. No, where was, I think he was in Ottawa. He was in Ottawa, and he had a, he said he had an iPad going on with the game. So. Well, I believe that's what I'll be doing tonight in Rexall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be watching oh. both the Blue Jays and the Oilers at the same time. I know. Huh? Hopefully, it'll be uh, hopefully it'll be victories for both Edmonton and Toronto to yeah. make it happy for all of Canada. I hope so. Hey, when uh, Nikita Nikitin, uh, he's just buried in the minors. I guess he did not have a good training camp. He hasn't been a, a good signing from coming over from Columbus. Um, is this guy just not going to get it? What what's the? Did he get a big contract and kind of? You know, just kind of float a little bit. Like when he got signed, um, you know, his his analytics, his his, uh, his uh, fancy stats, let's call them, uh, were were pretty good. Um, but it just hasn't worked out. Well, first of all, I'm not an analytic guy. Um, I know that there's a place for them. Yep. But I think I think that if you've been around the game long enough, your eyes should be able to tell you what's good and what's bad. Mm-hmm. And right from the get go, Nikita Nikitin struggled here at Edmonton. Yeah. Uh, his his foot speed was just not good enough to play on this team. And there was talk about being out of shape or talk about being injured, but I just think healthy Nikita Nikitin is not strong enough. And I think the, the, the biggest thing that's happened here at Edmonton is with the new regime coming in, new GM, new coach, they don't have to worry about optics. Yeah, They don't have to keep a Nikitin because we signed him for two years because they didn't sign him. 
we don't have to keep Ben Scrivens up here as our number two goalie because they didn't sign him. Mm-hmm. And players that players that were drafted before, you don't well, you know, I wasn't the one that drafted him. Yeah. So it's much easier for them to just wipe their hands clean of people. And Nikita Nikita wasn't good enough to make the team this year. Yep. And now, as an ownership, I mean, it, it might be a tough <laughs> pill to swallow. You got right? <laughs> the opening night, there was $10 million not playing on the opening night yeah. for the Edmonton Oilers, and it was all coaches' decision. Yeah. So that's that's tough. And you, you think about it, where could we have spent that $10 million? Well, that's a, that gets you a $7 million player and a $3 million player. <laughs> right. Two pretty good players you could have in your lineup. So. Uh, it's tough, but Nikitin just—he just wasn't good, and it was his foot. Um, whether he can bounce back mm-hmm. and, and land somewhere else, I mean, that'll be something we'll see. I mean, he's got an opportunity in the minors to improve. Yeah, yeah. And if no one wants to be there, and a player—I'm sure he's proud, and he's been in the NHL for a number of years now. It'd be tough down there, That's but it's one of those—you can—you can make it better for yourself, and then try and get back to where you want, or you can just let the the contract fade and be done with it so we'll, we'll see how he does well and we'll get into it but that's exactly what happened to you you know after many successful years like you were yeah. a minor and you and you had to fight and so we'll get into that but um uh, Connor mcdavid um man i've, I've watched three other games the opening one in st louis i watched the calgary game and then i watched the detroit game and uh didn't really notice him in st louis sort of noticed them in the calgary game and uh wow uh detroit and Talk about back checking too. The guy, he he he's fast. I, the one thing I guess I didn't realize was how fast he was. He's a, he's an incredibly fast skater. Um, he's well, the real deal, he, though. He is the real deal, and and, and he is fast, and he's got a, a speed. There's there's fast guys around the NHL, mm-hmm. and, and and a lot of superstars that are fast. But then he's got an extra gear that they don't have. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of people were talking about. Now I I saw him sparingly okay. before he made the NHL, just like. Anyone else saw him watch play the World Juniors on TV, mm-hmm. but I never got to watch him day in day out. And I've talked to people that had, and I said, I mean, seriously, is he is he this good? Right. And every one of them said, yes, he is. And everyone talked about his speed, the the extra gear he has, how he separates from others, and, and we're, we've seen that. Now, he's has he been the best player on the ice every game? No. Mm-hmm. But he's an 18 year old kid still learning. But he's been good every game, and. Mm-hmm. He he can he's a guy that when he's on the ice at any point can take the game by its by the throat and, and run with it. He can every time he's on the ice he's dangerous. Yeah, and most guys aren't that. Like he in his own zone he's dangerous because if a puck bounces over someone's stick he's gone and he's gonna have a breakaway because he can't catch him. Right. And the biggest thing that I've noticed I know his speed is great but his strength he doesn't get knocked over he doesn't get knocked off the puck and, and players on the opposing teams I mean. Young kid coming in, big superstar. You know, we're gonna we're gonna knock him around a bit. Mm-hmm. It hasn't happened, and the Oilers have played some big, heavy teams. Sure, and he's still been able to withhold it when he has the puck on his stick. He very, very rarely gets knocked off. Yeah, Ferraro was, you know, he follows it. He goes to the World Juniors year after year. He follows it a lot closer than I do. I'm like you. I kind of watch it World Junior time, and even down in living here in the U.S., I don't get all the Canadian games. You know, I get the the American games. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't watch a ton of them, but. I didn't realize how fast he was. And also, too, seems to be incredible in his own zone already for an 18-year-old. Like, there's not any floating going on. He's, he's back. He's getting it, you well, know? So. It, yeah, and, it, and it's, one of, it's funny. So you got two number one players, you have four on the owners. But it, you look at Yakupov and you look at a McDavid. Yeah. And Yakupov has to learn the game. Came out from junior, mm-hmm. prolific goal scorer, exciting, uh, all this talk about speed, things like that. 
that he got to the National Hockey League level, he had to learn how to play in his own end. Yeah. He had to learn to play on the boards. He had to learn the little finer things, getting pucks in deep, giving goals. Those are things he never had to do in junior because he had this breakaway speed. He's getting 110 points a year. You know what? They were happy. Connor McDavid, the other hand, he comes in. He already knows the little things. He's mature mm-hmm. beyond his years. In his own zone, he's on the right side of the, the, the player in the defensive positioning. He knows how to chip it off the boards if there's no play. Yeah. He doesn't try to beat a guy one-on-two. He knows the smart plays, get it in deep, use my speed, go wide. And, and those are things that he was just born with. And that's why when they talk about him, they never talked about him as being a number one pick. Mm-hmm. They talked about him as being a generational player. Yeah, Because he was so much better than a bunch of number one picks before him. It's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough for maybe not, but it's gotta be tough for uh, Taylor Hall, Nugent Hopkins, Yakupov. They're like, oh, like we're, we're we're the man, we're the guys for years, and oh wait, we're not gonna be the guys. Like they they obviously took the C uh, away from. Um, uh, no, it's escaping me. Ferentz. Uh, yeah, Ferentz. Brad, Andrew Ferentz. Andrew yeah. Ferentz took, took the C away from Ferentz. Didn't give it to anybody because they're kind of basically saying, hey, this is gonna be McDavid's team in a few years. So got to be a little tough pill to swallow for those other dudes. But if the right thing to do is for them to swallow it because this, you know, falling behind this kid, uh, maybe not this year, but, but soon. Well, it's tough to swallow for pride wise. Yeah. It's pretty easy to look in the mirror and see why. Right. You know, yeah. Connor McDavid hasn't been here the last four or five years, and you guys having this team has failed to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They failed to make any progress. Uh, some have said they've gone backwards as a team over the last couple of years. They've gone through, you know, five, six coaches. Yeah. They've gone through three general managers. So if, if any one of them ever thought that, and I don't think they do, but if they did, it just you look in the mirror and say, well, we've had our chance. Yeah. We've had our opportunity. And our opportunity has passed us, and we didn't grasp it. Now the next one is coming in, and we're seeing if he can do it. And for everything I've seen, everything I've heard, has been a positive feel in the dressing room. Connor McDavid has slid in. He's been very quiet. Mm-hmm. A kid that doesn't want to draw attention to him because there's always been attention. And when you come to a new team with veterans, older players, you don't want – hundred media standing around you every day because you're embarrassed. You don't want to feel as though yeah. or have the other people feel that you feel you're better than them. And he's done a very good job of keeping low key when, uh, when he has success, it's very low key. And when he struggles, he admits to it. Right. Um, yeah, I guess that's the one thing you can talk about him is he's kind of a vanilla guy, but he'll grow into that. Right. I mean, he'll, he'll give good interviews, you know, in a few years. I mean, Crosby was kind of the same way. Yeah, but I mean, if you look, there, there's two guys in, in my generation when I played. There was Gretzky and there was Mario. Yeah, and Gretzky was more, more flamboyant. He wanted the attention. Sure, he wanted. Yeah. he wanted to be the ambassador to the National Hockey League. Mario wanted to be quiet in his area, go out, play, win hockey games, win championships, but just let his game on the ice do the speaking. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, you'll always see Gretzky somewhere doing something great for Wayne. Yeah, like the other yeah. day, there's a t- big kerfuffle up here. Big yeah, he went to the he went up Stephen Harper thing or whatever, right? Harper, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's all this talk supporting Harper. When's the last time you saw Mario <laughs> publicly speak? You just don't. And yeah, it's just no. different personalities. And sure. So I don't know if if uh, Connor's. I mean, Taylor Hall's much more mm-hmm. out there, and you see him and stuff. Connor McDavid just he sits back, and I think partly because. Connor's been dealing with this probably since he's 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And he knows how to, I'm sure as much as it is now in the dressing room, he doesn't want to be as seen as someone higher than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine what it would have been like when he was 
seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, the oh, jealousy yeah. among parents. Yeah. This poor kid who was by far the best player, by far the best player. Now little Timmy's not touching the puck because uh Connor over there, he's getting all the goals and all the accolades. Yeah. So I'm sure it would have been a lot tough for him for him at a young age because he wouldn't have been able to understand it and have the maturity to understand it. Yet he learned it and mm-hmm. turned out to be this great kid, this great young man that uh has right now taken the weight of an entire city. Yeah. on his shoulders because he's supposed to be the guy that takes him to the next level. For for you, you just got to be like, thank God. Thank you. Thank you. I don't have to deal with these callers anymore. Thank you. <laughs> oh, and, and it's, oh, it's been so good. And it's funny, my partner, Reed Wilkins, and I, we talk about it. Mm-hmm. Now we get to talk about hockey. We get to talk about games. <laughs> right. Talk about the other team. Talk about what went, what went right. wrong. And instead of just defending or um, just... yeah pushing away the calls Which, about right. new, new, we need this trade, we need this guy fired, and it just, it, it, it's, it's really now a hockey show for the first time in a while. Well, uh, me being a Maple Leaf fan, um, I listened to uh, the Leaf broadcast and Jeff O'Neill, I don't know if you know O-Dog at all, but... Yeah, played against him. Yeah, no Jeff O'Neill. Of them, never really got to know him. He does sort of your job, the post-game, pre- and post-game, yeah. and it, yeah, he's just basically, at this point, he just yells at callers, they yell back at him. It's it's just epic. It's epic. He's just yelling and screaming and saying you're an idiot. The callers are saying you know the same things that you deal with. So, so it's got to be nice. Um, who's an oiler? And I'm going to get into your career right away. But who's an oiler that maybe a lot of us who don't watch a team every day? I mean, outside of the obvious guys, who's a guy that you think's got a great future or, or is really playing well? That maybe, like I said, us, those of us who don't follow the game, follow the Oilers as close and watch every game. Like, who are you? impressed with uh, sort of quietly? Well, I mean, everyone knows the big names. Yeah. Nugent Hopkins, the Hall and all that. But Oscar Clefbaum. Clefbaum, okay. Uh, yeah. it, he's really emerged on the back end, and he's going to be a stud defenseman for the others. He's got size. He's smart. He moves the puck well. He skates well. Uh, the others just locked him up long term. I saw that. Uh, and, yeah, so he, he's going to be a guy that will be their number, you know, one, two defenseman for a number of years. And he's a guy that you don't notice a whole lot just because he doesn't make mistakes. Mm-hmm. He's smart. Now, he got off to a little struggle this year because he was injured in training camp. But once he gets into the flow of it again, uh, last year he was exceptional for the Oilers. And so much that they went out and gave him this big deal to make sure that he's locked up long-term. He's a big part of their future. And uh, one of the reasons that the Oilers feel pretty confident that all the firepower they have up front, mm-hmm. they now have guys coming in on the back end right. with a cleft bomb, with Justin Schultz, with Darnell Nurse down in the minors. They are getting to where they need to be to be a competitive team for playoffs. Yeah, they took some heat for locking cleft, cleft bomb up for four years. Uh, people are saying what, but I, I I got a sense like yeah, they must have been really blown away with him, right? Like I just it, I read some good. things. Yeah, I read some things where people were like, "What are you doing? Why that much? This kid's still unproven." But Clearly, uh, well, the, yeah. Well, the way they do it now, and this is different from my era. My era, you proved yourself, then you got paid. Mm-hmm. This era, they pay you, hoping that you live up to the contract because they want to make sure you're locked up. Yeah. I mean, they, they, Hall, Newton Hopkins, Everly are all given five, six-year deals before they even came close to their prime. Yeah. And they, but they wanted them locked up, take them further into their unrestricted free agency. They don't, they don't want to lose them. And it, it's different. I I remember, and I'm pretty sure it was Dave Manson in Chicago uh-huh. who was holding out years ago, and I believe it was over ten or fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. And they offered <laughs> one fifty, and he wanted one sixty-five, something along that right. line. Right. 
like fifteen, you know, like fifteen thousand yeah, yeah. dollars now. I mean, that's a that's a, a period for some of the guys what they made. So <laughs> well, it, a, it's amazing the difference. Now. How much do you think a forty nine goal scorer would have made? Uh. <laughs> well, I would not be working as hard as I am right now. I know. And I've been born about ten years later. I know it. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Justin Schultz, uh, big year for him. One year deal. Um, here you go, kid. Right. One year, I think. Here you go, kid. Yeah. Pr- prove yourself. Right. Well, the tough part for him, he came in, um, there was all the fanfare because he was an unrestricted free agent coming mm-hmm. out of college. He, he spurned the Anaheim Ducks, and everybody wanted him. They saw what he did in college. And then he came, he'd signed with the Oilers, and a lot of hoopla over it. And then Craig McTavish came out and said, this kid's going to one day win the Norris. Well, now the bar has been set. Mm-hmm. And this kid is, if he's not a Norris Trophy winner, anything below that's a bust. <laughs> and he came in and he did struggle. He was good when the puck was on his stick. He wasn't as good when it wasn't, just like any young D-man would be. Yeah. But because the, the lofty expectations that were put upon him, the, the fans weren't giving him the leeway. They weren't giving him the time to mature. Now, I, he's not ever going to be close mm-hmm. to an Norris Trophy. I, I don't believe that's in his yeah. makeup. But he can be a competent defenseman. He can be a number 3-4 guy. And, but because the others were so bad, especially on the back end, he was thrust into a number one, two role. So now Justin Schultz, who still was not strong in his own end, was going against Getzlaff and Perry. Yeah. yeah. The Deans and Kane and Taves. So now you're putting him in, a, in an area where he's going to struggle to succeed no matter what. This year, signing Sekera, they moved Schultz down to the second pairing. Yeah. And now he's not playing against the top players. And he looks more at ease out there, looks more comfortable. And you don't see the, uh, the big gaffes that you've seen in the past with him. So it yeah. is a big year for him. He understands that he sees his D partner Clef on with a long-term big contract. That's what he's gunning for. Mm-hmm. And he's got a coaching staff that believe in him. And that makes all the difference in the world. If you've got people that believe in you, it's much easier to step on the ice and do your job. I, uh, I just sit on my couch and watch games. I'm no Rob Brown or anything. I, I, every time I watched an Oilers game last few years, he was horrible in his own end. <laughs> yeah. Horrible. Like, yeah. I mean, again, like, oh. I'm, not an, I'm not a hockey expert. I'm just a guy watching him. But, oh, my God. Well, well you sound like every phone call we got for the last couple of years. And the so, mistakes he made were huge. And that was the thing. It, it wasn't, you know, a subtle thing. Oh, he missed. He was five yeah. feet away from where he yeah. needed to be. It was a, a blind pass. It was getting thrown off the puck. It was turning mm-hmm. the puck over in a bad area, but I think it was just he was putting a situation that he was struggling with to start with, and then his confidence eroded, and then just the public shame, the the coaching staff losing confidence in him, and it just uh, got magnified. Yeah. So I think he's much more comfortable this year. He's much more confident, or at least appears to be, and he's playing much better than he had in the past. PaulPocky.com, Paul Pocky podcast with Rob Brown, uh, former NHLer, uh, doing the color analysis or post game, I should say, and pregame on 6:30. Ched, let's get into your career a little bit, Rob, uh, and we'll wrap this thing up. Um, man, and that's a fun part for me talking about the career because I grew up watching you. Um, fourth rounder, um, you scored 58 goals in your draft year, right? In 69 games, but you were drafted in the uh, fourth round. How does that work? Yeah. <laughs> Well, it was. I, I've never been a very good skater, okay, and that was always the, the the worst part of my game. My draft year, I went to a camp in the summer, and I was I had um, strep throat and struggled at the camp, and it just stuck with me that whole year. I, <laughs> no. I won the scoring title that year. Yeah, guy, the guys on my team got drafted ahead of me that year. I was like, well. hey, what went wrong? <laughs> but 
it's one of the, it just was a motivation factor. Um, yeah. And I was a small, but I mean, looking back. Yeah, you weren't 6'4 either. You're right, yeah. No, I was small. Yeah. I was small. I was slow. I couldn't shoot the puck very hard. And a lot of back in those days, I mean, you weren't looking at hockey sense. You were looking at statistics. And yeah. Statistics were how tall is he, how much does he weigh, how fast can he skate. That's what they were looking at. I think nowadays they're starting to see a lot of small players succeed. And they're starting to see guys get drafted uh-huh. based on their hockey IQ. Uh, I had a very high hockey IQ. I just didn't have the, um, the yeah, body. The, the measurables, of, right. Of, yeah. The, the, yeah, the prototypical hockey player at that point. So I, I was able to overcome that and, and have a, a nice hockey career, despite the fact that wow. my skating was probably below average beer league skating some nights. <laughs> You're like, look, hey, I got 58 goals in 69 games in my draft year. Okay, I'm going back to Kamloops. Uh, yeah, I'm going to score 76 in 63. Like, I don't care how much how tall the guy is or how slow he is. It's 76 goals in 63 games. You know, that was a good year. Yeah, we had, we had a lot of talent on that. Yeah, team. that was a lot of fun in Kamloops. Ken Hitchcock was their coach. That oh, year. was he? Okay, yeah. Um, and then so, and again, my junior hockey history. Maybe this wasn't the year that you, the Memorial Cup Kamloops guys, right? That was later. No, right. That was later. We I went to two <clears throat> Memorial Cups when I was there. We didn't win. Didn't win. The yeah. Memorial Cups. I think it was two years after I left uh, when they started their run ah, with okay. Rome again. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Don Scott Niedermeyer yeah. and all those guys and Shane Don. Yeah, they, my dad was the GM there and he had a lot of success uh, drafting hockey players. Yeah, in Cam- <laughs> there was a lot of great players Clearly. went through Kamloops. Uh, the Penguins in 87, 88. Uh, did you break camp with them? You got 24 goals in 51 games. Um, did you break camp with them? Did you make it? How was that? It, it was funny. I went to camp, and I had a pretty good camp. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, still, I was raw. I was just a kid. And I remember the coach was a guy named Pierre Kramer, French guy. Yeah. And he called me in after training camp, and in his French accent, you know, we, we like what mm-hmm. you saw, what you did, what we have you as our number six centerman. So we're going to send you down to the minors. You're going to go down to Muskegon. We want you to work hard. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at him, and he, he finished. I said, well, Coach, I, I, I can't go to Muskegon. And he got mad. Well, why can't you go? I'm like, well, I'm not old enough. What do you mean you're not old enough? I said, I'm not old enough. I have to go to junior. I can't go to Muskegon. Right. That's not right. I'm like, it is. He goes, well, how old are you? I'm like, well, I just turned 19. Right. Well, hold on. So he gets on the phone. And he calls back. He goes, okay, you stay here and uh, we'll be at practice tomorrow. So I'm like, oh, my God. Call my dad. Oh, you won't believe this. Uh, I just then, I just told the GM the rules of the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So then I the two game, two or three games into the season, I hadn't played yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, a guy named Bob Erie broke his wrist, mm-hmm. and I remember uh, the coach coming up to me and said, uh, "You're in tonight for Bob. You're going to play with Mario." Jeez. And I'm like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. And my first game, I had two shots on net, two goals, and. And then I got to stay and play in the National Hockey League. And then it was still up and down year, even despite the yeah. 24 goals. At Christmas time, uh, the World Juniors were in Russia. Mm-hmm. And I was still an in and out of the lineup type of kid. Uh, the Team Canada called my agent and called the team and asked if I would be interested and allowed to go play for Russia. And they asked me, and I was like, absolutely. I yeah. missed my World Junior year. I didn't get invited you did that I had what year I scored 212 points in junior. I didn't get invited to try out. Stop it. 
Really? Yeah, to, oh yeah, my not God. that I didn't get cut. I just yeah. didn't get invited to try out. Well, yeah, and actually, actually, talk about Ferraro again. His 102 goals. Yeah, he didn't even get invited. 108 goals he had. Yep, yeah. same thing. And he and I have talked about it. What the it hell? One of those sometimes, <laughs> sometimes people think they're smarter than they are. Right. And I'm going to win without this guy. I'm going to win without Ferraro's 108 goals. 212 points. Hey, 212, 212, yeah. 212 points and in 63 was, games. <laughs> yeah, and it was, I was named uh, Canadian player, junior player of the year. And I didn't, and once again, I didn't, Jeez. now that I went and played poorly, I didn't get invited. Yeah. So the next year when Pittsburgh asked right. if I would go, I was like, absolutely, I, I, I want to go. And we went over and won a gold medal in Russia. And to this day is one of my favorite memories and sure. favorite hockey moments. Um, yeah, no, I bet, right? Uh, you were a center, right? Your whole career? You were a center mostly? Um, and then, then the wing? And then, but I was going to talk about the transition to the wing. So yeah. you were you were you were perfectly fine to play Mario's wing, like it was okay. <laughs> well, it, it, it's not a hard decision. You can play center on the third or fourth line, or yeah. if you don't mind playing on the right <laughs> wing, you can play with Mario. Um, so, I mean, I think it's I think it's easier for a player to transition from center to wing mm-hmm. than the opposite. Center have centermen have the most to do, especially defensively. Uh, you, you've got to be first of all the face off. And then in your own zone, you're the guy that's helping the D-man out. You're down low. Yeah. You're working hard that way. Where the, the winger, you got your, you got your D-man. As long as you protect from him scoring, you've done your job. Mm-hmm. So it's much easier to transition and become a, a winger. Right. And we've seen that here in Edmonton. They've talked about Leon Dreisaitl going from center to playing wing. Mm-hmm. Much easier than if you were to take Anil Yakupov and make him a centerman. Yeah. So I didn't find the transition that hard. And it, it's actually... Uh, Saves a lot of energy yeah. because you're not as tired because you're not doing as much in your own zone. Well, I was telling uh, Ferraro all that on one of our earlier shows because we were debating about Stamkos, and he said, you know, Stamkos, one of the things he thinks is Stamkos is pretty pissed about being moved to the wing. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Ray, who cares? You're still scoring. It's easier. And he's like, no, no, no. You want to be a center. You touch the puck all the time. And I'm like, you want to be a center? That seems like a lot of work. But It, it is know. a lot of work, but he's right. Yeah. Uh, you do touch the puck more. So... In, especially coming out of your own end. Yeah. The centermen have the puck on their stick the most. They're, they're usually either the D-man's giving it to them or it goes D-man to winger who quickly gives it to him. Mm-hmm. So he's making the decisions. So if you've got a really, really good centerman, one that moves the puck well, mm-hmm. well, then you don't mind being the winger because he's getting you the puck when you need it. Yeah. But if you don't have that playmaking center, then you want to be the guy with the puck on his stick because you want to make the decisions. And... I'm sure if Steven Stamkos was playing in Pittsburgh and they had Crosby there, I think Steven Stamkos would have absolutely no problem being a winger with Sidney Crosby. But if it's a Tyler Johnson or whoever they decide to yeah. put as his center in, in, I think it's Callahan is who he's playing with yep. for a while, not as gifted offensively. So now you're, you're wide open, you need the puck, and it's not coming. It's not you. there, yeah. So now you're like, hey, I want to be the centerman because I want to be the guy that dictates the pace of play. Ah. Uh. 44 points in 51 games. I don't remember who won the Calder. That might have been Makarov. Joe Neuendijk. Oh, Neuendijk. Okay, so that was... He, he turned out all right. Yeah, I was going to say, but you had to have been in the running with 44 points in 51 games. I don't, honestly, I don't... I wasn't in the top three. I think they, back then they had a top three guys that went to the awards right. still. Yeah. I wasn't in the top three. I, honestly, I don't remember who the other guys were. Might have been Wendell. But I know that... I think Wendell, my, my favorite player growing up. Uh, yeah, it might have been. I played yeah. against him in junior. I remember him in junior scoring goals from center ice. He had the hardest wrist shot I'd ever seen. I know, and right? He scored against us from center ice with a wrist <laughs> shot. Wow. That guy's good. Uh, the next year, uh, I don't know. 
how do you lay awake at night and think about how you missed 12 games and you got 49 goals and without a doubt, without a doubt, you would have got that one goal in those missing 12 games to, you know, 50 goal score, obviously just would have been really nice to say. I mean, I, I'll count you if you want, if that matters. But, <laughs> but, but holy shit, Brown, you must just be, oh, why couldn't I just one more goal? Well, it's funny. I'm pretty sure, I'm not positive, I'm pretty sure that I would have been the second youngest player ever to score 50. Yeah, right, In the sure. 12 games, I, 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 it's funny, I separated my shoulder that year, kidding, Joe Neuendijk. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, there, right Joe there. comes in, <laughs> screws me over twice. But, right, right. Uh, so I missed the games, but that year, two things. One, I did score a 50th goal. I had one disallowed. Oh. The puck, our D-man shot the puck mm-hmm. in Philadelphia. It hit the goalie and hit me in the chest and went in. And the ref, his name was Denny Morrell. Yeah, Denny Morrell. He said that I directed it in with my body. With your chest. I didn't even see the puck. Right. Yeah, I didn't even see. The, the shot came. I turned to see where the rebound was, hit the goal. He hit me, went in. So I did score 50. Uh, and the second one is the last game of the season, I needed two goals. I had 48 going into okay. the last game in Philadelphia again. I scored in the second period, hit the post. Uh, in the second period, uh-huh. the game went to overtime, uh-huh. and in overtime, we couldn't not move up or down in the standings. Right. Philadelphia could move up in the standings if they won. They pulled their goalie in overtime. I was on the ice. The faceoff was in our end with a minute to oh, go. They come had an empty on! Net, and the coach, pull, the coach pulled me off the ice. Constantine. And I remember. Right? I remember Mario and one of the other guys saying he's got 49 goals. And the coach Gino Briaco said, "This is a team game." and didn't put me out there. Oh, and God. Mario eventually went down the ice and scored in an empty net. And I, I'm relatively positive <laughs> that at some point Mario would have been their entire team and I would have had a tap-in back right. open net goal. So I, I, I was that close that game. Oh. So sitting on the bench I, sitting on the bench in that last game with an empty net, there was, I was, there was disappointment because I knew that I had a good chance of scoring 50. Thanks, Gene. Thanks a lot. <laughs> um, I had Gene later on in my career too, and I I reminded him every second. Hey, um, Ubi, remember the year I could have had fifty? Oh, dude, and you probably had a nice bonus, or maybe maybe it was so unexpected well, you I, might not have even had a bonus. <laughs> I think my bonuses that year stopped at ten goals because it was my first contract. <laughs> right, yeah. Exactly right. Um, oh yeah, Mario would have stick handled around the whole team twice while you skated to that end and waited. Yeah, you know? I would, he would have just let me set up shop. Okay, I'm here now, Mario. Get me the puck. Uh, uh, so, yeah, 49 goals, playing on the on the wing with Mario. Um, now comes the Mario question for you. Just, I mean, just how amazing, how good, just phenomenal, right? He was. He, he, he could do everything. And, I mean, there's always a debate who's the greatest ever. And I live in Edmonton. Wayne Gretzky's here. And, obviously, he was my hero going up. Right. And I'd love to go to the Oilers games. And I would be transfixed by him. Like, when he was on the ice, I did not leave it. I watched him the whole time. Yeah. Mario, to me, I have a hard time saying he's not the greatest simply because there's things that he could do that no one else did because he was, he was six foot four, he yeah. weighed 230 pounds. He he's could re- drag three guys on his back. Dude, and his reach and, and his reach was phenomenal. Reach. And when it came to breakaways, never missed a breakaway ever. Like if no. he had a penalty shot, it was a goal. If he had a breakaway, it was a goal. And that's what separated him from most. Uh, I mean, Gretzky, greatest goal scorer ever, because, I mean, his stats show that. But he didn't score on breakaways with the consistency that Mario did. So to be able to play with Mario, to be able to be on the ice practice with him, to get to know him, I mean, I was just very, very fortunate. I just, 
I, I realize now how lucky I was to have spent that much time with one of the greatest players that ever played the game. Oh, without a doubt. Just the, the highlights are phenomenal. You watch him and you're like, you, for, you forget when you were growing up watching him. You're like, oh, look at Mario. Now, I think being older, you realize just how special he was and you almost wish there was another Mario because there really, there isn't. There is, and there might, may never be a guy like that. Uh, you watch the classic hockey games and it's phenomenal. Just the, the way he goes through guys, his reach. Yeah, like you said, breakaways, forget it. It's over. Yeah, um, no, he was know. so good. And, and yeah, I mean, I, will there one day be another guy like him? I don't know. I hope there is. I hope there is so I get to see him again. Yeah. Um, what was he like as a guy? He's obviously, like you said, he's quiet. He's reserved. How, what was he like uh, as a teammate? Really, really nice guy. Yeah. Uh, he was quiet. He was not uh, not the guy that's going to lead the parade to to the bar, but very, very good guy. When he spoke, he listened. Mm-hmm. Very thoughtful. Um, I, uh, the four years I was there at Christmas Eve, I was over, always over at his house uh, celebrating the, the last night before Christmas. And, but just, just a good person yeah. who uh, shunned the fame. He loved the game. Yeah, he, he, the fame part of it, he just that wasn't him. He yeah. wasn't uh, a guy that wanted fingers pointed at him. He was a guy that just simply wanted to do his job and then quietly creep into the darkness so that you didn't <laughs> see him anymore. So uh, for him, he became much more famous after, or much more yeah seen afterwards because the team was going bankrupt mm-hmm. and he eventually had to buy the franchise to save the franchise and to save him a lot of money. Yeah, and to get him some get paid. Well, I know yeah. going, as a kid going to Jet games, I grew up in Winnipeg, like I said, he'd never come up for autographs. He'd ditch the back way, end up on the bus, and like we're like, really, Mario? Because Wayne signs everything. Wayne's cool. We're always bummed yeah, on Mario. Yeah, no, you know? he was, yeah. yeah he, 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 I mean, when you approached him one-on-one, he was very personable and yeah. nice. Yeah. But he, you're right. He, he was a guy that, you know, get me back to a hotel. Yeah. He wouldn't go on the road. Or he wouldn't go out a whole lot, right? Because he just didn't want to. To because he was. It was funny in Pittsburgh, especially after game, the the peons on the team. I mean, <laughs> you would be surrounded by people all night long. It was you were like a rock star. Yeah, and we were the peons. So when Mario went out, it was like he could not go out in Pittsburgh. Yeah, at yeah. All. forget it. It was just. It was too much. It was like I don't know what the Beatles must have done. I don't know. That's what he was like. <laughs> He was a god in Pittsburgh. 199 points that year that you got 49. So it's just phenomenal. Um, and coffee, you played with coffee too. Uh, I did. I played with Paul. He's one of my favorites. How how was he as a player, man? God, he was f- amazing. He was he's amazing. I mean, his skating ability was I mean second to none. Yeah. Uh, he he saw the game differently, especially at that era as a defenseman. Uh, he was a guy that was you realized how good he was more when you played with him than when you played against him. Mm-hmm. Because now you got to see it on a nightly basis. I'm like, holy smokes. Yeah. I mean, he, he was good and a good guy, uh, a good team guy that uh, he, he liked to, he liked to hang out with the young guys. You know, he liked to joke around, go for dinners with them. He, he was just a very, very outgoing guy that, uh, that I was very fortunate to get to know. And I still see him in lo- doing lots of events. Right. We still get to see each other, so it, it's been nice. Is it true he just had the smallest skates ever and just wedged his... He did. He wore... It's funny, the new assistant coach for the Edmonton Oilers is Jim Johnson. Right. And now the, the sizes might be wrong, but I think Paul Coffey had a size 9 skate for practice and a size 7 skate Jeez. for games. So he always wore Jimmy Johnson's. 
skates in practice, uh-huh. his extra skates in practice, because they were bigger. Because <laughs> they're bigger, and right? And when he played in games, he went to his, his sizes, which were two sizes too small. He could barely walk from the dressing room out to the ice because it hurt his feet so much. Oh, wow. Um, look, there's got to be 8 million Mario Lemieux highlights for you, but is there one that stands out, either the one he set you up on or one that he did himself? I mean, what's the, what's the greatest thing you've seen Mario Lemieux do? And I know, again, there's got to be 50, but is there something that stands out? Well, there's, there's lots, and I, I don't know if it was the greatest, but it was the funniest is we were in Washington, and we were in there, and, and Mario had the puck, and he went around one guy, went around two guys, and there's a, my line mates were Mario and Bob Erie. Right. And Bob Erie and I were standing in front of that, and we were both standing, we're, we're jostling with our D-man. Right. And Mario, we're yelling for the puck, and we're trying to get open, and Mario beats another guy and another guy. Well, now my D-man leaves, and he goes after <laughs> Mario too. Right. And Mario beats him, and now I'm by myself in front, and Bob Erie's D-man leaves him, and he goes after him. So at one point, Mar- or both Bob Erie and I are standing in front of the net by ourselves, <laughs> and Mario is walking around all five of their guys, and we look at each other, and we smile because yeah. we're witnessing something right. we just don't see. Yeah. Here we are by ourselves. No one even worried about us <laughs> on the ice. We actually could have taken our skates off and sat there and just enjoyed the show. Yeah. He was he was just that good. And the other one was a game against Washington, also a different night. We it was late in, and here's another coaching story. Pierre Kramer. There's a minute and a half to go in overtime, second last game of the year, and the whistle had gone. We're having a face off, and Dave Hunter and I are looking at our coach. Are you going to pull the goalie? Mm-hmm. And the coach says, "Well, we're not going to pull the goalie. We're tie game in overtime." And we're like, no, 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 no. We have to win the last two games to have a chance to make the playoff. If we tie this game tonight, we're out. No, 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 that's not true. We're like, so now we're like very adamant. Yeah, we, we have to. We have to win the game. It, you know, yeah. we got we got to pull our goalie. And all of a sudden he turned the assistant coach and they call upstairs and he comes back. Okay, timeout. We pull goalie. So he didn't even know it. So anyways, the timeout comes over. So we go on the ice. And the coach, Pierre Kramer, is French. And right. for the 30-second timeout, spoke French to Mario. <laughs> Didn't talk to the rest of us. Face off was in our end. And we're skating back to the, to the circle, and I go to, I can't remember who the teammate was. I'm like, right. what are we supposed to do? I mean, he just spoke French. And we're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure he just said in French, Mario, you good. The rest of the guys, no good. Take pucks, don't pass. <laughs> sure enough, Mario went in and scored a goal. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Listen, I don't give a shit about what you guys have to do. Mario, come here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, I don't even know why these guys are on the ice, Mary. I just have to. It's a league rule. Uh, well, the the incredible thing playing with those guys, um, for you, it must have just been awesome, like you said. And Barrasso and Nett, Stevens, Coffee, Lemieux, all those guys. But then, I guess, like you said, you like to think you maybe were traded for the, one of the last keys to win the Cup because right before they won the Cup, uh, you got traded for Scott Young. How did that happen? Did you know it was coming? Uh, I did. Uh, we had a different coach in Pittsburgh that year, a guy named uh, Bob Johnson. Mm-hmm. And Bob Johnson, who I like as a man, yeah. but he had he had a thought of what his players should play like. And yeah. one of the things he liked was speed. And I didn't have speed. Yeah. And I wasn't playing as much with him. And we knew a trade was, was coming. Mm-hmm. We just didn't know when. And then it was just a couple of days before Christmas, and he traded me for Scott Young who went on to win a couple Stanley Cups with them. And, yeah. and a good guy, actually. I went and lived in Scott Young's house in Hartford. Oh, you did? Oh, nice. Got, yeah. nice. Yeah, so that worked out well that way. But uh, I knew it was coming in. It was, it was tough yeah. the following uh, May and June when they were in the Stanley Cup final. Right. And I'm playing in Hartford, <laughs> and we, were, we lost first round of the playoffs. So yeah. it was tough. But on the other hand, it was also exciting because 
they were all my buddies and they got I, I was with them when we were when we missed the playoffs and when we struggled yeah. so it was nice to see a lot of them had reached the pinnacle and and were awarded the Stanley Cup yeah that would have been tough for sure but like you said I guess whatever right it's part of the game and um how'd you like Hartford how well not so much. No. <laughs> um, I mean, Pittsburgh was a great hockey town. Yeah. Great hockey town that uh, you had the mall. love their athletes. Uh, pardon? You can go to the mall after the games. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, in Hartford you can, yeah. Right. So that, but Hartford was not – it wasn't a sports town. It wasn't a, ha- a hockey town. Mm-hmm. Your rink was in a, in a mall. When we played the Boston Bruins, we would have 13,000 Boston Bruins fans and 2,000 Hartford Whaler fans. <laughs> we played them in the playoffs, and when Boston scored, the place went nuts. Right. So it was tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. just completely different there. So it, it wasn't – and there's a reason they're not in the NHL anymore. It just mm-hmm. it wasn't a, an NHL or a major league type of uh, city. Right. So it, it wasn't the best. It had a cool song, though. Every time you scored, they played this cool song. But wow. other than that, it, and the, our uniforms – the all green helmet, gloves, pants. Right. I mean, it, it was a good it look. Was, we weren't, yeah, it wasn't the most attractive <laughs> team in the world. Well, actually, the beginning of this podcast has the brass Bonanza in it. I put it in well, there. There you go. Because yeah. Ferra- Ferraro was doing this with me, right? Oh, that's true, too. So, and it's funny. I was going to call, I was going to say that, but I'm like, I better not say what it's called because most people wouldn't know. Oh, no. But yeah, there brass- you go. Well, and I put it in and I sent it to Ferraro, all very excited for the intro, and he, he never said anything back. And I'm like, what about the brass Bonanza? He's like, I hated that song. Um, but uh uh, hey here's the part where your career um for me it's interesting this 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 is where it gets interesting so basically you're a 50 goal scorer you're you're you know uh scoring goals you've put up points your whole time for some reason uh you played 18 only 18 games in five years you went back down to the ihl you got you got traded chicago went to the finals right uh against mario which would have been weird Super weird. That was strange, yeah. Yeah. Just, an, just another slap in the face. <laughs> <laughs> that was the, the year he went through the whole – oh, that was Yager who went through the whole team. I forget. I forgot. Yeah, he went up. through the whole team. That was – well, that changed the series. We were yeah. – I think we were winning the game by three goals at that point, game one of the play, of the finals. Mm-hmm. And the armor goes through our whole team, including our best players, like yeah. Sutter and Chelios and scores, and all of a sudden, hey, wait a second. Yeah. Pittsburgh gets life. Yeah. Um so you got traded. You you go, you go to Kings for a couple games, Dallas for a game. You're basically kind of buried in the in the IHL. And and most people at this point, like I remember as a fan, like you know I didn't hear much about Rob Brown anymore or whatever. But to your credit, you go back to Pittsburgh and you end up your career with like three nice solid seasons. You just don't see like we talked about Nikita, Nikita earlier. You don't see guys get sent down. And fight and stick with it that long and fight that hard to get back up. Like I think that that for you, that might be uh, that's a pretty good, cool reward that you ended up doing this. Like I think it's uh, I think it's awesome. Uh, it was something I was proud of. And I right think when I first went down, um, obviously I was upset. I played my whole career in the NHL, never started in the minors, and had had success. And I got sent down. And it was a shock. And I remember talking to my father about it and how upset I was. And he said, well, do you still love the game? I said, yeah. Mm-hmm. He says, well, then don't let anyone ever make you quit something you love. He said, you have your choice. Go down there and you can go down there and sulk and just go through the motions. Or you can go down there and be the best player in the world, not playing in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And then I got the chance very soon after that to go play in Hitch. The following year was my coach in the minors, Ken Hitchcock, uh-huh. who I'd had before. And the same thing. He said, okay, I, he goes, I know you and I know you as a person and as a player. But a lot of people see your appearance, how you just the way you show yourself when you skate out at the beginning of the game on the bench. He goes, 
I know the, what burns inside you, but other people don't. Mm-hmm. So make sure that your first appearance, if someone's coming to scout you, their first appearance is a positive one. I took that to heart. And wow, yeah, yeah. I went down there, and I had really, really strong years in the minors. I mean, it, and it's not easy when you've played. I played in the Stanley Cup Finals. I, right. I've been to the World Championships, and now I'm playing in Fort Wayne on a Tuesday night in front of 150 people. Yeah, that's what it, I mean. It's, it's, yeah. it's tough to get motivated, but I, and I never knew if I was ever going to play in the NHL again, but I knew that if I was going to be in the minors, I wasn't just going to go down there and collect a paycheck. I wanted to be the best. And I had success, and I remember getting a phone call from – uh, my agent saying the Pittsburgh Penguins want to know if you want to come to training camp. He goes, there's no promises. Mm-hmm. You're going to go through the rookie camp. Wow. Oh, and really? Like, huh? And I'm like, yeah. The whole and thing. I'm, like, yeah, so yeah. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. And I went there and it's funny. I, it's the same rink, same practice rink, all the stuff. <laughs> and I'm sitting in all the players, the veterans are all in the, the practice room, like the normal side. And I'm sitting in this little room that I think was a closet that they broken out and put <laughs> stalls in just for a bunch of rookies. Yeah. And here I am uh, was sitting with these guys and rookies, and, and I'd been on the other side, and I'm like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. And I just went in and, play, and, and worked hard and, and had a good camp with no thoughts of anything happening because mm-hmm. at that point very few guys went to a training camp without a contract and, and earned one. Yeah. And at the end of training camp, I got called in. They said, yeah, we want to offer you a, a one-year deal. And I'm like – Awesome, and I was pretty excited and, and quite proud that I had I had made it back, and I got three full years out of the NHL after well, uh, most of. I mean, I remember playing against New Jersey. I think it was New Jersey. I can't even remember where who we were playing, but it was Shanahan, and I lined up with him at a face-off uh-huh. an exhibition, and he looked at me. He goes, "Oh my God, I thought you were dead." <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, I've been, I've no. been away for a while, dude. As a, as a kid, you know, there was the internet wasn't around and all that. You know, I, as a kid following you, I was like, what, "Rob Brown, he's back!" Like, well, you, you know, I'd run into people in the summers and stuff, and for years, people would come up to me and they say, "Oh, I owe you money." Like they tell me they owe me money because. I drafted you in these hockey pools, and I won hockey pools because no one knew of you, and you <laughs> right. had all those big years. <laughs> right. And then, then years after that, I'm getting people, oh, my God, you so screwed me, man. <laughs> I thought you were going to come back the next year, and you weren't even there, and I drafted you. And oh, like, shit. Yeah, know the feeling. Oh, I bet. And, I, I mean, also, too, you being, like, a, a big scorer and all that, I imagine you had a chance to go to Europe for probably good money, and you probably turned that down. Because once you go there, it's hard to get back, right? Yeah. So. I, I was down in the minors, and – Again, I, I there were a lot of offers to go to Europe. Right. I just you know what? I'm not ready. I wanted to go to Europe. My goal was to go to Europe at the end of my career, uh-huh. play a couple seasons, travel, and I just wasn't at the end of my career. And eventually, when I got to that point, we, my wife and I, had children, and we found out my little girl had autism, so we didn't want to go to mm-hmm. Europe and, and deal with that with with our daughters. So. You're, the Europe thing was an option. We just decided not to go with it. You're, you're making whatever fifty, seventy five, hundred grand in in the minors, and and Europe's probably you know double, three times that, or whatever, with an apartment well, and a car and all that crap. The well, uh, my our minor league salary was was better than that. Oh, it was in Chicago, okay. and, and Chicago treated us very well. If the I play for a number of organizations, I do not know if there's a better organization from ownership mm-hmm. than the Chicago Wolves in the was the IHL now the AHL right. Um, the, the Donnie Levin was the owner there, and I can tell you, I could have if, if it wasn't for us having kids and my my daughter and stuff, I could have played in Chicago for another ten, fifteen years because you were treated so well you were there. Good. Was that so a, that was was that John Anderson coaching then? 
Or, Don Anderson was my coach, yeah, yeah. and great. He's a great coach, especially for veteran players in the minors. Yeah, yeah. He's a very laid-back man, and we had a lot of fun. But the ownership was just sensational there. And, and you were treated like NHL players there. We flew everywhere where all the other teams were busing. Mm-hmm. It was pretty oh, cool. F- oh, really? You flew? Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, we flew everywhere. And we, and we, we would routinely get, you know, especially in playoffs, 15,000 fans for our game, so it was right. it was uh, it was like playing in the NHL, just being treated just so so well. So you make it back to Pittsburgh, and again, I tip my cap to you because yeah, there's probably many times where you're like, I just uh, this is not me, uh, you know, I, I, I scored 50 goals, I played with Mary Lemieux for God's sake, and here here I am. <laughs> but uh, you make it back. Constantine's the coach. I had a, I know a guy who played for him, and I won't say his name, but he hates Kevin Constantine. He can't stand him. He's the worst coach ever. What do you think? Funny. I, I, and I've heard lots of people like that, too. And Constantine now is out in the Western Hockey League, and there's a lot of star players that get drafted that don't show up there. And I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure this Matthews is supposed to go number one overall next year. Yeah. is a draft pick in the Western Hockey League to Constantine's team. And he just went to Europe. And, <laughs> and he just went to Europe. And I know that uh, this Tyson Jost, Mm-hmm. Uh, is also going to be a first-round pick this year in the NHL draft. He'll be a top 10, top 15 pick. Mm-hmm. He was drafted by Constantine's team. He didn't go. He's gone to NCAA. Yeah. I like Kevin Constantine. He was good for me. But as any player will tell you, if the coach is good to you and likes you, you like that coach. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If the coach doesn't like you, you don't like that coach. It's very simple. Now, star players can make decisions because they play for anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Kevin, he liked me, and I, I, I liked the structure he had. Um, I could see why he rubbed people the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. But for me, he was good to me, and it was good for my career. Did you have to change your – obviously, you changed your game at this point. You're much older. Yager was a kid when you left. Now he's like the yeah. the, the guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, and you probably had to change your game a little bit. You're no longer Rob Brown, the, the big scorer, right? But, I mean, I, I imagine you were fine with that. I was. It was a, I was a third-line player when I went back. I was, yeah. I was on the checking line, which was really funny because that was one of my knocks that I didn't know how to check. <laughs> yeah. But I had, to, I had to rediscover what I wanted to be as a player. And if I, I could play in the minors and you know, be uh, one of the league leaders in points every year, or I could learn how to be a good two-way player and have a chance in the NHL, and I did. Mm-hmm. And, and it was fun. And it, it, I was old enough and mature enough to make that uh, decision right. to put ego aside because while I was there, there was other players that came through. I remember a young kid named Andreas Johansson, mm-hmm. who was an offensive player that thought he was going to be a star in the NHL, and they wanted him to be a role player like I was. And he fought them and said, nope, nope, nope. Eventually asked to be a trade, traded. And within 60 or 70 games, he was out of the NHL and never came back again. Mm-hmm. Whereas if this kid would have taken his lumps, put his time in as a third-line player, probably would have played 10 to 15 years as a – role player. Mm-hmm. Andrew Cogliano, another guy that in recent years was with the Oilers, the first round pick, thought he was going to be a scorer. Yeah. Didn't turn out, went to Anaheim, now he's a third line centerman and he's going to play for another 10 years. Yeah. You just got to understand what your role is Where your and role, accept yeah. it. Yeah. And not everyone does it, but I was more mature when I came back in my 30s that accepting that and understanding, well, I could be in the minors or I could be a role player in the NHL, easy decision. Yeah, I think again, I think it's it's really says something for your character to stick it out and to come back and reinvent yourself because that did not happen uh, back then. It, it doesn't happen now, really, you know. But but especially back then. 
Um, you know, and again, again, like I said, look, you got 49 goals, but Danny Morrell screwed you out of the 50th, so you're a 50 goal scorer. But um, yeah, no, it's a it's a remarkable story, man, no doubt about it. Hey, do you know that you're you're responsible for a, a very popular blog out there? I'm sure you've heard this story. Down goes brown. Oh, down goes brown. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have heard. I've been interviewed by them. I'm like, and I'm not getting any kickbacks from that. I took it on the chin. I was knocked out. <laughs> oh, you were? I get no kickback. You were actually knocked yeah, out. Just, I was. Well, my, my dad says I was knocked out for a long time. I think I went down and quickly got back. Yeah, out. yeah. But it was a fight that I did not win. I just watched it, and I watched a YouTube clip of you running away from Hextall, who wanted to chop you with his goal me, stick. <laughs> me and Hextall were both going for a line change at the same time. That's what we were That's doing. That's what we were doing. It worked out nice. Uh, no, hey, man, um, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. I know you, you don't know me from, from, from Adam, just uh, Derek. So I really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to spend an hour with us. And uh, a phenomenal career. I mean, like I said, it's, it's, it was great. And I, I think I'm more impressed with the comeback than the uh, the early goal scoring to me like I just think that that's uh, that says something for you and I know you're doing a great job up there in Edmonton because uh, um, I can I can talk to my buddies up there and they, they all said they like you so that's good well, good. well thanks you know so um, thanks for doing the Paul Pocky podcast Rob Brown uh, appreciate it and uh, yeah man thanks again good luck with everything and uh, like you said I'm glad for your sanity that the Oilers are turning it around because <laughs> well, I don't know how much longer you would have had so, so my I appreciate you having me on all right. Thanks, Rob. All right. Take care. See you.